90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty good. Week two of field camp is almost down. Yeah, which, yeah. You so... know, it's virtual, so. <laughs> well, you're a third of the way there. Uh, the cool part is that you can go to other planets. So we've been, you know, mapping Mars and the moon. And that's super fun because, as everyone knows, I love impacts, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't the moon basically one color and says basalt? No, John. There are different <laughs> types of basalt. <laughs> I don't know what they are because I don't care, but there are. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And there's some crater splatter as I kept calling it. And I'm like, I'm sorry, it's ejecta, but it really looks like splatter, right? <laughs> right. And so everybody who we've interviewed about the moon and lunar geology, don't send to me hate mail. <laughs> splatter. Um, it was really funny. So I can say this now because this comes out on Friday and they will have turned in their lunar um, assignment. So it's mapping the specific spot. Well, it's across Kepler crater. And then, of course, when I go to look at stuff on the Internet, of course, the USGS has released an in-depth geological map of the moon like a week ago. (laughs) (laughs) But whatever, that's that's field camp for you. Um, What are you up to? Oh, we're we're plugging away. Uh, I've actually was uh, talking to some students in Rome about what we do here at the shop That's uh, and they've exciting. got a it's sort of a techniques class you know how to they're messing with Arduinos and learning about sensors and so we had a good long about two hour chat and oh, wow. actually a few of them are listeners of the show so <gasps> shout out to you guys that's awesome yay that's so cool I'm I was always surprised now I'm not at how um what international appeal we have <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, so uh, this is sort of the vein that I wanted to talk to you about this week, too, because um, we're doing this virtual field camp, right? And sometimes it's really hard for those who have taught or TA'd field camp. It, it's hard to impress upon students like what the importance of field camp is, because most people aren't going to go out and be a field mapper. So then why do these skills matter, right? Um, the interesting thing about virtual field camp is really, and you know I hate to say this, but students might be getting more practical skill sets this year just because we're working with computers so much, which is what they're going to do in their jobs most likely. Um, most we, likely, yes. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so, yeah, so we did there are obviously tons of people who want to study this year's group of field camp attendees, right, to determine whether virtual learning does as well as in the field learning, and that has all kinds of implications for field trips and geology. And so I thought that I would interview a lot of my friends who've gotten undergrad geology or geophysics degrees And see what, you know, what they do. Because one of the things that the students filled out, one of the questions on one of the surveys was, how do you see yourself basically 
do you see yourself as a geoscientist, you know, and basically how, what does that mean to you? You know, do you know what being a professional geoscientist means? And a shocking number, not just my students, but all over, are saying, like, yes, I, I do identify as a geoscientist, but I don't, I don't necessarily know exactly what that means. And so I thought I would, you know, do a job talk, essentially, and interview several people that I know who've taken different paths and say, all these people are probably geoscientists, but look at how wide and varied their paths to geoscience were and also what they do now. Like, big spread. And so that's okay. We can all still be geoscientists. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one thing that I think is worth mentioning real early on here is it also pays to talk to your professors about <laughs> what you want to do early on. Because when you go out of school and apply for a job, guess who they're going to call for references? And if you never interacted with your professor other than turning in homework or going to office hours that one time to beg for some more points on a test, <laughs> they can't say anything about you. And, you know, it used to be a lot of these reference calls. And in the I don't want to say in the professional world, because that is the profession, but in the, in a lot of instances in large companies, all that somebody can say is, you know, yes, they worked here from this date to this date, and they can't give any other information. Yes. Uh, so when a professor gets a call or a former colleague gets a call, they ask us a lot of in-depth questions many times. Mm-hmm. Yes, super weird questions. Almost so much that it feels like we're getting interviewed for a job. <laughs> right. Um, and it's super important. I mean, and you can say, well, I'm not going to have this professor as a reference. That doesn't matter. And I tell my students this all the time. I went to school, and you did too, with a lot of the people that are recruiters for these companies. So even if I'm not a reference for you specifically, generally recruiters will still ask me about you anyway. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, I've definitely had uh, phone calls from people saying, hey, do you do you know this person? Do you remember them? What, exactly. what were they like in class or what were they like to work with? Mm -hmm. uh, though geoscience is a big field, it's also a very small field. I cannot count the number of times I've been on the campus of various companies that had thousands of employees on that campus and run into a dozen people I know in the first 10 minutes I'm there. Absolutely. There, there is such a tiny degree of separation among people meeting with all these field camp directors that run into the same thing like people that are in europe we're just one colleague apart from each other um so yeah it is really really small um i always say to students you know like you need to have a good attitude and it's really hard at field camp and virtual field camp is also very hard it's not as physically taxing but it's just as mentally taxing. And I say, you know, have a good attitude because you should be a good person. But if it's not for that, then do it because you don't know who you're next going to be working with or who your next boss is going to be. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, super scary. But I mean, first, before they even get in that position, they have to figure out what they're going to do. And we have a large portion of our class this year is going on to graduate school. Um, but there are a few people who don't quite know or think they might want to work or things like this. And I remember being in this position. Um, <laughs> it was like the worst and the best week of my life when I was a senior undergrad. And in the same week, I got told I worked at the Severe Storms Laboratory, the National Severe Storms Laboratory. 
And I also worked at the paleomagnetics lab. In this same week, both of those people told me they had money for me to stay for grad school if I wanted to. Yeah. So, like, it was awesome because cool, but now I have to decide the rest of my life this one week when I'm, you know, 22 years old. This is... And cramming for finals and... <laughs> Exa- exactly, yeah. So it was it was terrible and amazing. And I know a lot of people are in that instance and always looking back on it. And I'm sure you feel the same way too. Like it would be nice to... I feel like I still polled a lot of people, but I know a lot of people are too shy to do that. So it would be nice to hear even more experiences of people in that part of their career. Just so students can realize like... Just because this person's super successful now doesn't mean that they don't doubt themselves or doesn't mean that they, you know, didn't know what to do when they were in your shoes. Absolutely. And also stressing, you know, I know this year has been very weird uh, with the close out of school. But, you know, I mean, my senior year of undergrad, like I ended up coming down with a case, bad case of pneumonia, ended up in the ER because I was taking like, I think, a 19 hour load of all pretty crazy stuff, uh, visiting grad schools, trying to figure out what I was going to do with life. And, you know, I had a professor, uh, Dr. Petrov from the math department who like I had to miss a test because I was still incapable of leaving my apartment mm-hmm. and, you know, sort of explained what was going on. And while a lot of other professors were, you know, okay, well you have to make this up or have to make this up. Uh, he said, you know, well, what, what all's going on? I said, well, I'm trying to decide what to go with grad, where to go for grad school and what I'm going to do with life after that. And he said, you know, just don't, don't worry about my class or the test. Just we'll, we'll make the final count for more, but go, go figure out grad school because that's what's important. And you said, I'll never forget you, sir. Thank the Lord. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, man. Yeah, that's amazing. So that was actually, this is actually my first question on here. Um, I thought I would ask people about how they chose their major and why they wanted to do it. But, you know, that's not where these students are. They've already chosen their major. They're at the end of it. But my next question that I had for you was, when did you know that you did want to go to grad school? Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) Well, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. One view was that grad school was uh, sort of like a snooze button. Yeah, okay. That I could decide later. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I knew that I wanted to keep doing research because I was doing that and I enjoyed it. And I didn't know what a research job in the field would look like. I didn't really want to go into the energy industry. Uh, so grad school seemed like a logical choice, but I had my heart pretty set on what discipline I wanted to go into. Uh, okay. And that's not at all what turned out to have happened. But that's, that's sort of a different story. Uh, but no, it was really just, I want to keep learning more because at the end of my undergrad, and I'm not saying that my undergrad was a, a poor education by any means, it was a fantastic education, but at the end of it, I just still had so many questions. It's like, well, I feel like I don't have the full story in so many places. I want to go round that out. Oh, that's... That's interesting. Um, my co-instructor for field camp and I talk about that a lot, is that no one sells geology or geophysics. They're interchangeable in this case. Um, on the premise that there are so many unanswered questions. And, like, that's what you can do. 
is you can go help answer all these unanswered questions. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, some of that was, you know, open research questions. Like there are so many things. And we found out last week with our show about geologic controversy that you all <laughs> love a good controversy. <laughs> you call it controversy. I call it nerd fights. But yes, yeah, I do too. It's great. Um, but I mean, there's so many things like that. But there's also just things where it's sort of like when you take trig-based physics and you're like, I know this isn't the whole story. <laughs> Like every now and then you see a glimmer of there's something deeper going on. Like these formulas look awfully similar, but you don't understand why. Oh my God. I want to know how many people you alienated with. <laughs> with that super nerdy comment. I totally get it, but it's real funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just anything like that, right? You know, somebody tells you a right. set of rules. And like, this is how you do this. You do step one, two, three, and four, and five. Uh-huh. And you're like, hmm. Well, three and four seem pretty related, but I don't know why I'm doing any of this. I'm just following the formula. Right, but what does it mean? And I want to know why the formula is there, who made the formula, why they made the formula that way. You know, Uh, these are all the questions that make you a really annoying kid. Oh, it's so true. Oh, my uh, teacher best friend just revealed to me last year that because I asked all those questions, the teachers would make fun of me in the teaching or in the uh, faculty lounge. And I said, no, no, they love me. You're, you misunderstand. You're like, no, no, Shannon. They, <laughs> they totally made fun of you. It broke my little heart. <laughs> um, so I have to ask you specifically, because we both got meteorology undergrads in addition to our geology and geophysics degrees, respectively. When did you decide you didn't want to do meteorology? Um. The end of my freshman year, I wasn't super sure that I wanted to do it as a career. Okay. But I enjoyed the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say, yeah, probably by the end of my my sophomore year, I knew that that was not going to be my career path. Oh, wow. That was early. It was early. Um, but I started working in, in a lab in geology the end of my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually took a geology class. I needed a gen ed with sci- or with a lab, and I was interested in geology. I've mentioned on here before that my dad's degree was in geology. Uh, so I was already interested, and I already had some geology books, and I thought it was pretty neat. And so I took an intro class, and uh, we've, we've interviewed Dr. Megan Elwood Madden on here before, who taught that class, and uh, ended up going to her office hours one day and saying, like, hey, you talked about some of these things, and I saw something on Discovery about those things on other planets. <laughs> are these, are they, and she, she said, well, yeah, you know, that's what I do, uh, is work on these planetary geology problems. So we chatted, and I ended up walking out with uh, the idea that this is something that I could really get into. And so I ended up working for her for most of my undergrad time at OU, and I enjoyed that work enough, whereas in the meteorology department, it was a lot more difficult to get involved as an undergrad. And yes. I was I was anxious to get involved as an undergrad. You know, I had I'd already done active research. I'd actually published a paper when I started at OU. Uh, so my, yeah, that my summer senior year after high school is when my, I published my first paper. Oh, okay. Uh, so I was really into to this idea of research and publishing. And uh, at that time, anyway, the, the meteorology undergrad curriculum just wasn't quite ready to introduce people to research until late in their undergrad career. If at all, in that time period, I will argue. Right. 
I don't think that's true now, but I do think it was true then. <laughs> right. And I'm not trying to say that in a, in a bad way towards that department. You know, I have many uh, good memories from doing that. And mm-hmm. really, I think that the rigorous meteorology curriculum, which was vicious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> highly rigorous, yes. <laughs> highly rigorous, uh, actively rigorous. Uh, yes, it's. I think it made me a much better scientist than just having one perspective because I ended up with several perspectives. Man, so I ask you that question because we both double majored, but lots of people have minors now. They're kind of bringing back the minor. I feel like it's kind of a bigger deal now. Um, and a lot of recent grads have gone on to do work that's sort of more related to their minors than their majors. So this is why I think this is a relevant question. And especially because when I, so I did go into the petroleum industry after my master's in geology, but every time I interviewed for an internship, every single time, the majority of the interview was the person interviewing me asking about meteorology. It's true. It is a really good conversation starter. It is. And so it's like those things that, that you know, you can take every petroleum class you want to, especially at a great petroleum school like OU. You know, I'm not discounting that. You know, you you don't absolutely need it for your, petro- for your petroleum degree because, oh, well, degree, for your petroleum job because I didn't take every petroleum class. Um, so those are super useful, but everybody does that. Like, what's the weird thing... That makes you stand out. And I'm not kidding. Every single interview I had, we talked about it. And it's like, I got a lot of job offers back then because, well, the industry was way better than now. But there's always those little things that can set you apart. And that's something. And so it's like, if you have your minor in, you know, medieval religion or something like that, because you think it's interesting, don't let anyone tell you that you shouldn't do that. Well, and I, I will not, I will not uh, throw this person under the bus, but I got a a position uh, for a summer one time while I was an undergrad, purely because I applied to a completely unrelated position to either field that I studied, mm-hmm. and the person that hired me because I, I sort of asked I was like, so I'm sure you had lots of people that were probably more qualified you know, why did you decide to hire me for this? And he thought, well, he said, well, I think uh, it was my, huh, a meteorologist. I wonder what this person could do with our data. See, there you go. That's, you know, these people give the this advice, which you take whatever advice you can get. My whole point in having these talks, you know, particularly for my class, um, because I'm going to make my class listen to this podcast, <laughs> it, you know, is to let you know that, don't just take one person's advice, like ask lots of people. And this is easy for someone like me. It's easy for you too, John, like we have no problems talking to anybody. But there are a lot of students that obviously, (laughs) yes, (laughs) (laughs) episode what, five and a half years later. Uh, (laughs) But there are a lot of people that do and that doesn't make them, you know, less capable. But it does mean that maybe they don't get all the feedback they could, you know what I mean? And so this is one of those things where it's like, ask people this stuff. And also just because somebody gives you advice doesn't mean you need to take it. 
Because that's the one piece yeah. of advice. I have a friend that she was <laughs> she was an Irish step dancer and she did it for till she was seventeen and then she worked in Vegas as an Irish step dancer and she was on river dance. So it's not, you know and then she came into geology and she's like, Should I put this? I mean, this was a significant portion of my life and I said, Absolutely. You will one hundred percent get a job if you put this on your resume. And she did. And in that interview, just talked about river dance the whole time. <laughs> Right. And I mean, I will say all, all advice is like obvious in retrospect, right? Mm. Correct. So you're like, well, I, I did that and it led me to this position. So obviously that was a good thing to do when really there is some element of cosmic dice rolling going on here, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, that is absolutely so, so that's why you should also take all of it with a grain of salt. Uh, yes. Because... It's what worked for somebody, and you're not that person, and you're not that person at that time. Right, Uh, exactly. But try to take it all in, you know, and no one's prescription is your prescription. Okay, so you decided you knew you wanted to go to grad school because you liked research. Okay, so you figure out where you want to go. Now, you left OU. I never left. Well, I left for a job, but I never left for school. So why do you know that you needed to leave? I thought I wanted some different perspectives on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to experience living somewhere else in the country while I could. Okay. Uh, and I thought it would be, you know, I, I had received some advice that it was better to get all of your degrees from different institutions, which I think historically that may have been true. I don't think it is so much now. You don't have to make uh, me feel better. It's okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I really don't think so. Because if you get in with a... A research program that you're passionate about yeah i think that's better because you have less spin-up time you're going to get more publications you're going to get you know you you don't have that whole rehoming refamiliarization process mm-hmm. yeah i think that's um true. so but I, I did receive that advice but really i just wanted to go somewhere else and see what different labs looked like mm-hmm. and different things i mean i i love norman it was one of my favorite places i've ever lived uh, but I'm glad that I also have lived other states as well. Right. Yeah. And and you also went straight from your bachelor's degrees to your PhD, which is not something you can do at OU without, well, yeah. Anyway. It's not something you can do. Yeah. So yes. that was that was a factor. Um, and that is a place where I received a lot of conflicting advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people saying, don't, you don't want to get into a PhD program and realize that's not what you want to do, or that's not the lab you want to do it in. And then you're either trapped or you've wasted time, uh, you know, go for a master's. And then if you like it, keep going. Well, I mean, depending on how passionate you are, that's great advice. But I knew that in the end I was going to get a PhD no matter what. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I decided to take the expedient route. And you know, you wound up doing rock mechanics, which isn't like that's a something you could do at every geology, you know, school that offers PhDs. True, but you can do it at OU. <laughs> yes, you can do it at OU. <laughs> I was just in a defense today about it, as a matter of fact. Um, okay, so you go, you get your PhD, and now comes the big question of like, how do I find a job? Which is where lots of people are. And actually, all my all my TAs recently are in PhD programs. I mean, at OU, obviously, but they're all, you know, whacked out nervous about what they're going to do with their life. Um, So you've got your PhD. 
You can go into academia easily. You probably could have gotten a job most anywhere, but you didn't. Why not? Oh, yeah. So I made a crazy wall. <laughs> I, I think I've told this story on here. Maybe, maybe not. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I took a wall of our apartment and with painter's tape divided it into three columns, which said academia, the man, and on my own. <laughs> And it was whether I was going to go into academia, go work for a company, or keep my business out on its own. Uh, <laughs> but the middle one was called The Man. Uh, I love it so much. <laughs> I'm so bad at working for The Man. So bad. <laughs> right. So, uh, so yeah, I made, made my crazy wall with colored sticky notes, pros and cons for each. Mm-hmm. Different colored um, Sharpies, too? or, or was No, just different colored sticky notes. Okay, all right. Um. <laughs> I maybe that helped me get all of the things out, but in the end, I had almost exactly an num- equal number of stickies, <laughs> pros and cons, in all three columns. Ah, <laughs> your OCD wouldn't allow you to. <laughs> I mean, that might have been part. I don't know, but it was one of those things where I looked at the wall and I was like, "Well, that helped not much." Oh man, I bet it felt good though. <laughs> Right, and I think it actually stayed up for quite a while. I'd have to ask my wife, mm-hmm. but I think one day it was just gone. Uh, oh no, I got so, a picture of it, so it was definitely there for a while. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we had the crazy wall, uh, and I thought, well, some of this is going to knock itself out of the running. Okay, because I'm going to apply for some fellowships. Uh, I'm going to apply for some postdocs. I'm going to apply for a job or two. And, you know, some things will come through and some things won't. And that might determine where I go anyway. Okay. Um, that-, that sort of happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so some things didn't work out. Uh, but in the end, I had a, a pretty nice fellowship uh, that was offered to me. And then a couple weeks later, I got a job offer. Uh, actually, maybe a week later. Uh, and I wasn't sure what to do because now all three columns were possible. Yep. <laughs> and I will say, I, I did not even know that this job existed. I barely knew that this place existed. Would it not have been for the fact that when I was an undergrad, I went in and asked a question about Python and was drug into this grad student's office. <laughs> and he answered my Python questions. And later, uh, we were at Python conferences together. He said, uh, we're, we're hiring a software developer, and it's something that you would be interested in. Hmm. So, you know, I wouldn't have even known that job existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I took several professors to lunch or coffee <laughs> and sort of laid out my internal crisis uh, because that's part of what professors get to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. And again, got lots of advice. Um, not necessarily the advice I expected from some people, really. I expected some people to be strongly pulling in favor of one option or the other. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what I got was very even advice from everybody. Wow. Of, you know, well, you know, I think personally that you would be great in role X, but you got to do what's going to make you happy. Mm-hmm. Um, which that is a revolution in academia. <laughs> yeah, you better believe it, buddy. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Religious guilt has nothing on academic guilt uh, of yesteryear. <laughs> I'll try, so, being a, try being a Catholic academic, man. It's rough. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I got lots of advice. And one professor uh, who we've also interviewed on the show, Dr. Sridhar Nandakrishnan, uh, said, you know, this category of job that you've applied for didn't even exist when I came out of grad school. And, he, and if it did, I might have very well done that. Wow. Because that sounds really fascinating. That sounds really fun. He's not saying I don't like what I do, but it wasn't even an option then. And the fact that it is now is really cool. Hmm. That's really neat. Uh, so, yeah, I, I sort of weighed everything. Um, I, I turned down the fellowship, which was super hard. Yeah. Because I had written a full NSF-style proposal for it and had lots of help from people. Proofing, mm-hmm. co-authoring, agreeing to be mentors... And we got it, and everyone was really excited. And then I had to call them and say, I turned it down. Um, And when you have to do things like that, people generally will understand. Nobody was angry with me. Right. Uh, I will not say that there was no disappointment. Yes. (laughs) Uh, but, But people were generally pretty understanding. And... If you, well, you have to do things like that. Even if you apply to grad schools, you're probably going to get into more than one grad school. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, don't just email these people or text them. Call them. Yes. A hundred percent. Like You have to own your decisions. So I so called these people and said, this is what's going to happen. Uh, I turned this down and I accepted a job. And, you know, I sort of pitched my job as it's academic adjacent because it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which made things feel a little better. Uh, and yeah, so, so that's how I made the decision. I came down to a forced time of you have two offers and they both are going to expire, or the first one's going to expire in five days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's scary. Also, so you, you know, oh, there's, no, there's no decision that's so permanent. You can't do something different later in life. A hundred percent. And later in life could be a week later. So, yeah. Um, so you wound up working for the man. Ha! <laughs> kind of. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> it was sort of. It was, it was, like I said, it was academic adjacent. So it was, a, it was a pretty loose version of the man. Yeah. Yeah. But so the lowercase man. Um, so, but that's not what you do now. So what do you do now? Yeah. So now I own... Uh, run and sometimes even get to do work in uh, my own uh, scientific consulting company where we design, manufacture, and build uh, some of the world's most accurate scientific instruments. And so this is because you worked at Radio Shack in high school. (laughs) I did have a job at Radio Shack in high school, yes. (laughs) So you left your job with the man because sometimes people can't work for the man. I can't, and my husband says about me all the time. Right. And so I think this was always 
something i mean you've had this consulting business long before you had a brick and mortar or you know tin and wood tin and steel building right um and i'm interested because your dad owned a business and i wanted to know how much do you think that influenced you to go out on your own probably a decent amount um so he owned a business that did uh, electronics and consumer goods refurbishing and so I was immersed in somebody in our family owning a business. Right. Uh, and my mom worked in accounting. So she was also very in the business running world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've heard a lot about that all my life. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that probably had some influence. I mean, I remember one birthday I asked for a filing cabinet. <laughs> I can't. One Christmas, my entire stocking was just um, office supplies. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> and it is the it's the one like stocking that I remember from my entire life. So <laughs> I can't even laugh at you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I remember a stocking full of like a bunch of parts from Radio Shack and pliers and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I got it. My prized possession was a receipt book and one of those little mini staplers. That was the best. Um, <laughs> I was 25. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think I find this interesting because like no one in my family's owned a business. And I know a lot of people have ideas for businesses and they just kind of like hold on to those ideas. But to actually make the jump from like, I have this paycheck from the man, but I'm going to give it all up and see if I can do this thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and benefits. And yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Retirement yeah. contributions and yeah. Yeah, what are you going to match for yourself, huh, buddy? <laughs> exactly. Uh yeah, so that's scary. Um Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it definitely was. That was a very uh difficult decision to make and a very gut-wrenching one cuz once you go in and say here's my 2 weeks notice, like there's no going back. No. Nope, that's a really uh, scary letter to write. It, it is, and I'm not going to say that like before I was gone, there was a job ad out, but it was pretty close. Yeah. Uh, be- because they needed people to fill that position, which I totally understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was one of those things where like, no, they're like, they're interviewing people to replace replace me already. Like, I can't go in and be like, actually, just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Hmm. That's a. Uh... That's really scary, but it's also the wide gamut of, you know, what you just said earlier. It's not like, you know, later on in life you can't take a different path, right? I mean, you still have your PhD. Nobody's taking it away, so. Right. Well, and it's after after working as a software engineer, everybody needs software engineers. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, worst case scenario, like, I'll go back to writing code, and I won't be really any different than where I was. Yeah. Uh, Maybe not using the science as much, but maybe, you know, you never know what you're going to find. And I actually applied for a couple of jobs while I was contemplating leaving the man to see if what I was really after was a different kind of man. Oh, gotcha. Um, So that was an interesting search, too. too. Oh, just kidding, honey. (laughs) 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 Um, so, So that's... That's interesting, but I also, hmm, 
So you decided not to do that, and you went out on your own. Obviously, you're doing super well. Um, but also, I think it needs to be said, too, you have a very particular skill set that is served by having all this experience as a geoscientist, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I did a lot of learning on my own of all the technical side of things, you know, the programming, doing electronics, doing machining. Uh, some of that was from previous interests, obviously, uh, from when I was a kid and being into lots of stuff. But uh, having that skill set ready to go and combining it with the science that I was learning made it obvious that I could I could start offering services to scientists that didn't have these other skills. Yeah. And those it's, other skills I really enjoyed. And this is so important, and this is for someone who might be in my position one day or even a graduate student, is that, you know, you go in and sometimes you work, you're not doing something as broad as geochemistry. That is not me putting down chemistry like I usually do. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of shared equipment in the field of geochemistry, right? But I'm a paleomagnetist, and there's, I don't know, what, like 10 labs, maybe, in the U.S.? Maybe a few hey. more. <laughs> I, I would say 10 is an optimistic number for active labs. Okay, well, yes. No, there's no, there's 100 magnetometers in a closet somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, maybe 10 paleomag labs. But guess what? John took paleomagnetism, the class. <laughs> And so, therefore, when he came in to redesign our sample handling system, it's not like he was looking at it as an electrical engineer, you know, who's the person that designed it in the first place. Because he'd had paleomag, and so he, when he had to back-calculate all these ridiculous, you know, coordinate rotations <laughs> that have to do with <laughs> vectors. And deal with all your weird, obsolete <laughs> units that you use. <laughs> Ah, you leave that Orsted alone. Um, <laughs> and so he knew, and I can't, I think anyone that works with his company realizes this. Like you can go in and you can speak science to this guy that's going to do your engineering problem, <laughs> which scientists and engineers are not the same people. So this is like an excellent skill set. And the point is, you don't have to have John's skill set. The point is, you know, make yourself an expert in something that no one else is doing. And there are plenty of spaces for that. So a friend of mine uh, recently was having lunch. And again, I, will, uh, I won't incriminate the guilty here. But <laughs> uh, we were talking about, because he's also got a very specific skill set, and the wherewithal, which is also a big part of all this, is you've got to follow yes. through. Yes. Uh, like You can't just say, okay, well, I've got this grand idea. And hope that it happens. Like, you have to execute on something. Um, and somebody had referred to him as a dangerous unicorn. Because <laughs> uh, he had he was the one person with this weird combination of skills and the, the means to go and actually finish these projects. And so, I mean, make yourself a dangerous unicorn. I want, I'm going to make us that t-shirt. Um, I might not have the skills to be a dangerous unicorn, but maybe. Uh, I love that so much. So I have to ask you a question. In all of this experience that you've had, um, and you're absolutely right, like there's a Henry Ford quote about like the time you get ahead is when everyone else is resting, and it's absolutely true. Like just show up, 
and do a thing because that's I don't know if it's 90% of it it's definitely 80% of it is just following through right yeah and you know it's that sort of 80 20 rule yeah. right like yes. the 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 last 20% takes 80% of the effort so right. most people stop there yes that's exactly right um so in all of this experience when did you start actually feeling like you were a real geoscientist you know did you feel like that in undergrad was it I halfway through yet. grad school <laughs> like no i don't yet <laughs> awesome that's awesome <laughs> no like there are so many times where somebody starts talking about you know well in the back arc basin and i'm like where was i for that month of class <laughs> No, it's such a broad field that anytime I talk to somebody that we're either talking in general geology terms and okay, I can nod along and, um, or we're talking in my field and I'm like, yeah, we can converse on this or they dive off into, you know, left field into their subspecialty. And it's like, are you, are we speaking the same? Like I hear the same Latin root in these words, but that's where it stops. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, if, you're just coming to the show because I made you listen to this for class. Uh, you should absolutely go back and listen to our space series because we interviewed some super famous people, <laughs> really famous people, like who I was nervous to interview. I don't know if you were. It oh, was, yeah. Yeah. There's some really famous people. And all of them said this kind of thing. Like, imposter syndrome is real. Like, you just heard Dr. Lehman say he still feels like an imposter sometimes. We all feel it. So you see these people, especially as an undergrad, I think, and you're like, oh, my gosh, they have all of their stuff together. You know, they're these really important people. And it's like all of them will be like, oh, yeah, I'm still real nervous when I do this. Or I still don't think, like, my ideas are good enough. Yeah. It and everybody's forever. Googling words under the table. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's just a fact. <laughs> I was going to tell you that when you said you taught yourself things, did you know that that makes you an autodidact? I did not. Uh, that was in a scholarship application that I had to rank. Somebody called themselves an autodidact, and I had to look it up, and I thought, that's amazing. It's somebody who teaches themselves things. There All you right. Go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, since this is a summer short. Great. <laughs> um, right. Try to put yourself back, you know, there, which I feel like I took you back. But it's like, what, what advice do you have for people that are juniors and seniors? You know, yeah, I want to go to grad school. Maybe. Maybe I want to get a job. Like, what, what do you say to students in that position, knowing what you know now? Uh, well, especially if you're not graduated yet. Like, go learn everything you can because this is the only time in your life that that is your job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and your brain is a sponge. It is terrifying to me as I enter my closer <laughs> to mid 30s uh, at how much slower I am at picking things up. Mm, yeah. So absorb everything you can now. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, right now your body requires like three or four hours of sleep. <laughs> That's not going to be the case in 10 years. So take advantage of that right now. Uh, and oh, my gosh. Oh. 
you know, go go learn all of the things you can and go get as many experiences outside of your box as you can, because that's going to help you make a decision later on in life. Uh, some of the contracts that we've worked on this year are only because I applied to an internship that was way out of my field and made some wonderful contacts and ended up really enjoying working with them. Uh, so branch out as much as you can go talk to your professors they're people and they are thrilled if you are interested in what they do yes <laughs> uh so go try to try to have some conversation and find out more about what they do they will be happy to tell you about it mm -hmm. uh ask questions like don't be afraid to hop on social media and like, okay so there's a big figure in your field uh somebody that's famous and you want to know something ask them uh, yep. <laughs> and those things will all help you figure out what path you want to take and you're probably not going to get it right the first time i mean i took three stabs at it uh <laughs> and this is where i'm at now but who knows where that's going to be in 15 years yeah that's absolutely true all right well i appreciate it for taking us on your circuitous journey <laughs> to where you are now and i'm sure if anyone has questions for john you can absolutely email him and he will definitely answer them because as we stated earlier we both like to talk <laughs> i am not very good i will i will just say this, i'm not very good on slack uh, uh i'm on slack every day all day now i want to get i want to get our channel back going because i'm sitting here with my students on slack so if we still got people in our channel so let's uh let's get it back going martin yeah i saw talk, a few I'm people left and <laughs> and that was sad uh but really i need to go through and do some slack pruning mm -hmm. uh because every the reason i'm not on slack much is every time i open it i get overwhelmed yeah uh, because i'm in too many projects that i'm only tangentially involved in the project i probably should really just mute that slack mm, uh mm -hmm. like today i opened it up and i had 1700 notifications <laughs> That's and cute. i just couldn't handle it and shut it back down <laughs> that's how i feel about my email except i've got 6100 go ahead <laughs> yeah so so i'm not not as good as slack um but man i am becoming more and more convinced of the power of social media uh, mm. i'm becoming I, less convinced we'll we'll have to have this out well, I, recently, uh, a professor that, that I know uh, saw something on social media from a person who, he and this person had a common uh, Twitter person. So they were, you know, one degree removed. They didn't know each other at all. Okay. But he saw this person tweeting about something in their lab and said, hey, that's, you know, John could help him with that. And sent me a text message with a screenshot of this which resulted in me dropping this person a line out of the blue <laughs> and saying, hey, somebody that you don't know but knows somebody that you know on Twitter sent me this thing, and I run a company that can help you with that. There you go. So, again, you know, there's only a couple degrees of separation, like Shannon said, uh, and I've really found academic Twitter to be a very interesting place. That is true. I quite enjoy it. Okay. So, yeah, there we Great. go. Great. Shall we uh, uh, move on to part B? 
we can we can buzz on over uh, to uh, this week's <laughs> Fun Paper Friday. Yay! <laughs> I mean, this is kind of weird, right? It uh, it pollinated a lot of ideas. Oh, I thought this paper bites. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. So <laughs> uh, this is. Bumblebees damage plant leaves and accelerate flower production when pollen is scarce. Bye. <laughs> oh, you're going to make me do Okay. Uh, Pasha Lidu at all? Sounds great. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's not even the hardest name to pronounce in that list. Um, Hence so, at all. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Number one, I thought bumblebees were not a specific type of bee i just thought it was what people called bees <laughs> it's one of those things where you go wait really <laughs> yeah there's bumblebees and honeybees and furry bees which are the cutest things i've ever seen but that is tangential to the point of this paper <laughs> right the point is when bees want something from flowers they bite them and then they get it <laughs> yeah so you know we all hear about bees being very important for pollination of plants and we're losing too many of them and that's going to cause a big problem agriculturally in the future mm -hmm. uh, but it turns out bees can also be a little aggressive because if the plants aren't producing enough pollen especially you know, like early springtime when they're coming out um the bees they take the mob approach to this. Exactly. This is crazy. And something that I didn't know or didn't think about until I read the paper. I mean, I'd read the abstract and obviously I watched the video that goes along with it. But climate change is quickly changing how plants behave, right? And, you know, if you've been around in one place for more than five years maybe you've noticed it my husband talk and i talk about this stuff all the time like oh we've never seen this happen at this time of year before and so to get around this and i don't know if this is something bees have always been able to do or not they can damage the plant leaves and it can increase the rate at which the plants flower by up to a month <laughs> Right. So if the plants start getting damaged, they start saying, well, we better go ahead and flower because we might not be around that much longer. And our that's, main goal is to reproduce. That's crazy. That's very interesting to me. So it's not just damage because the the researchers, this is in um, science. So obviously um, this was very well thought out in terms of the methodology they said, okay, so this happens to bees. And this was not the point of the study, which I also thought was great. This was something right. that <laughs> they observed because of a different study. And this is what wound up being the paper. <laughs> so, As most nature papers are. I love it so much. Um, and so they said, okay, well, we're going to mechanically damage plants. And then we're going to let the bees inflict the damage. And for one species of plant, um, the difference between when those plants flowered was only five days between bees and people. But then a different species of plants, it was uh, more than a week. It was 16 days versus eight days. So that's pretty significant. 
twice the amount of time. Um, yeah, so the bees somehow damage the plants better. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, so they think maybe there's something like in their, I don't know, in their saliva or something. So it's beyond just the damage. It's there's some beyond. <laughs> so it's beyond that. Um, maybe it's something in their saliva that also triggers the plant to do this stuff. I, obviously, we have a lot of plant papers, so I'm real obsessed with this. Um, I think constantly about that fun paper we did where the plants uh, uh, where the plants were breathing, like they'd wake up and go to sleep at night. Yeah. Um, I digress. <laughs> that was super cool, too. Um, so maybe it's something in the saliva that makes them do this. And then they did all sorts of experiments, like inside, outdoor experiments, different bees, and then the cool part is does this behavior stop once there are other flowers around you know once you're further into like may and this was in switzerland um so once you're into like may and june when there's flowers everywhere and yeah they quit beating up the flowers once there's flowers everywhere it's true but there is a radius at which point they get lazy and we'll start beating (laughs) up the flowers close to them (laughs) it turns out it's two buildings right (laughs) Right. <laughs> oh, that was pretty funny. Um, There's a even bees have a limit to how far they'll go. Well, when you got all that pollen weighing you down, you don't want to fly a long ways. You think about it. I mean, think about a two building distance compared to the length of a bee. Like, that's a yes. That's further than I drive to a McDonald's. I do, are you going to drive to Quick Trip in Tulsa? I mean, yes, you yeah. are, but still. <laughs> um yeah so i thought this was really cool that's a really neat symbiotic thing well maybe it's not symbiotic but (laughs) bees are bullies which maybe we knew anyway um and very uh yeah it's very interesting i love the part too where they had these rooftop gardens that they were doing and they mowed them down and then the bees started eating all the flowers again because they got mad because they mowed down all the (laughs) all the flowers (laughs) Um, and obviously there's a video of a little bee biting a leaf. So you need to go see the supplementals for that. (laughs) Well, they bite and then they puncture too. Uh, yeah. These puncture pictures are weird. Super weird. They're little proboscis-y things going through there. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're, they're (laughs) pictures that are, I think they're like one second interval roughly from reading the description. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where he just sticks his little tongue through that. Well, proboscis. I mean, it's the equivalent of a bee walking towards you with a baseball bat. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) So they're all just gangsters. That should be in the conclusions of this. (laughs) Right. Um, But it's really interesting that it's like, yeah, bees are, just like you were saying, these keystone species and stuff. Um, But it appears that, you know, they got this this climate change figured out. That's not what's killing them. It's something else. (laughs) Right. So. Hmm. Interesting paper, I thought. Well, if you have your own unbelievable data, oh. uh, we would <laughs> love to see it. Shannon, how can folks get a hold of us? I quit. Um, you can email <laughs> us, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Um, let's bring back the Slack, okay? We're on the Software Underground, the Don't Panic channel, and we're on Twitter at geo underscore Lehman. I am at Shannon Doolin. Together we are 
at Don't Panic Geo. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping us going. If you would like to do so, you can. Patreon.com slash Don't Panic Geo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.